Hey, happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to the I-5 Corridor's Traffic Report. Tyson Alger here, joined by Shane Hoffman. Week three of the college football season is in the books. That was a heck of a weekend of football, Shane. What what was your main takeaway from that thing? Yeah, we were texting about it. I mean, I think the top half of the Pac-12, you can probably go back and forth and argue about how strong it really is. There's some obviously some top-end notoriety and some solid teams behind them, but it's fun. And that has a lot to do with quarterback play, which is probably always going to be the key there in terms of how watchable teams are. But, you know, I haven't watched a ton of Pac-12 teams besides Oregon in past seasons because I haven't felt like it was worth my time. And this year, it's like I can't really get enough of Pac-12 football. Yeah, it's and, and it's not just that teams like Washington are 3-0 and and Oregon State are 3-0 and and USC are 3-0, and but it's it's the actual like quality of teams they've been beating. Like that Michigan State team was no slouch that went into Seattle and uh, the Oregon win over BYU. I mean, Oregon dominated that game in, in all facets. And, you know, my main takeaway from that thing was Georgia's a really good football team, man. <laughs> like, because like, like Oregon, Oregon looked such a step above where BYU was and, and looked completely in control com- compared to where they were two weeks ago. Um, I, th- I think Georgia might contend for the national championship, is, is my takeaway from the weekend. Searing hot take. Um, yeah. yeah. And the other thing about this, the top of the Pac 12 is the identities. And I think in Oregon is probably a good place to start with that because it seems like after that loss, after a super lopsided week two win, that we're kind of starting to see what this team is going to be in the long run. Yeah, and and what I really liked from that game is, you know, there was a lot of talk about Bo Nix, and that was that was one of the best wins of his career. You know, it wasn't necessarily like the best passing game of his career in terms of like explosiveness, but three rushing touchdowns, two passing touchdowns. Uh, he limited turnovers. He he basically kept them in control and um, was in complete command of an offense too that really milked out the clock and and played smart football. Um, you know, I, I think there's still probably a lot of track left on the on the bow roller coaster. Um, you know, obviously after after the Georgia game, people were pretty down on him, and you didn't really know what to expect after Eastern because everybody should do that to Eastern. But I think in Knicks, you you have I think the biggest takeaway from that game is like there's no quarterback controversy anymore. I mean, I know Ty wasn't in there for long, but it's very clear that that Knicks is is the leader of this team. He's the leader of that offense. And say what you will about any other part of the season, like BYU is a top 15 team, a top 15 team that has dominated Pac-12 opponents for you know the last two years or so. Like that's a game that I think a lot of people were ready to not be surprised of if Oregon lost and they came into the uh, wazoo this week at one and two. Like I, I was really impressed by kind of the overall package there. Um, you know, especially with just kind of the physicality that team played with. Yeah. And BYU is such an interesting case study in like in a college football team because they recruit like the recruiting is, is piss poor, like by the numbers. I mean, they get, you know, guys that make sense in there for them, but like every year under Sataki, like nationally, they've been like, I want to say outside of like the top 100, maybe even, maybe I'm exaggerating, but I was, I was going back and diving into that um, a few weeks ago, but they're so sound. They kind of remind me of Oregon state, like really well coached, really sound. And that's a game, that type of team in these games catches these more talented teams off guard. And that's what was so refreshing about Oregon is they were dominant on the ground. You know, you hear about this, this jumbo package they ran out there. I wrote about it 
They talked about it after the game with the six offensive linemen, the three tight ends. All the running backs looked great again. Um, but the clock management, specifically on that drive they had before half, it was 13 plays, 79 yards. It was like over five minutes. Um, they converted two fourth downs with Jordan James. One was in their own territory. And they go ahead 24-7 before halftime. And it was just refreshing because it's not something you saw under Cristobal. You saw the run game. You saw the monotonous play sometimes. But it was still explosive in this game, even though it was maybe monotonous with the play calling. They said they were running the same play over and over again, essentially. Um, you know, and, and it just managed the clock perfect, which was something that Cristobal, you know, was really you know much maligned for. And he did it again in that Texas A&M Miami game the other night. It, it, it was just crazy, like, watching that game and then also the Washington game, which we'll transition to, to here. But, I mean, every – even it, – it, I, I think it's easy to get carried away criticizing Cristobal after the fact. And, you know, you do have to consider that they won a Rose – I mean, like, it was a, a successful tenure that he had here. But, like, that was kind of, like, one of the glaring factors was time management and also just, like, the style of the offense. And – um, it's just it's just so fr- refreshing to watch a team that isn't afraid to like take risks and and take shots and actually like put it try to put a game away early like like even there was so how many wins were there during the Cristobal era where it was like I think I'm thinking of like the 2019 game at Stanford where it was maybe like 19 to 13 final score it's like why why is a team that's this good just eking out wins over over teams that it should be far superior to. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was nice to see Oregon really take it to BYU and in the same vein, it was nice to see Washington just like explode out of the gate against Michigan state there. Um, I, I think we were all pretty high on, on Penix after the first two weeks, but it was another one of those situations where you didn't quite know the level of the competition. Um, I think Washington might be scary, man. Yeah. Well, I, that was what I was writing is that Penix is just horrifying and, for as productive uh, passers Washington has had at times, and I don't want to generalize too much, but it's usually been the six two to six five white guy standing back there in the pocket, not super mobile. Um, and you know they're going to have some good games. They're not always going to have amazing games, but they're not going to add much with athleticism. And Penix, I wouldn't even call him dual threat because he doesn't rush a lot. But he's so athletic that he can. You know, he had, I think the, the play that kind of put him on the radar at Indiana was he had this crazy, he was either a touchdown or two point conversion where he ran and dove for a pylon. But he uses his athleticism to, to escape in the pocket and to extend plays because his deep ball looks beautiful. And like Michigan State's another team where not the most talented, but super well coached and for the most part pretty fundamental. They had some kind of uh, iffy plays in that Washington game, but I think Washington looks good. And again, it's like their identity is just kind of like aired out. They have Jalen Polk, who's a freshman. Uh, or sorry, uh, maybe Jalen. There's two Jalens, McMillan and Polk. One of them is a freshman, one of them is a sophomore or junior, I think. Both of them are dominant. And then they don't have much of a running game, but it doesn't really seem like it's going to matter all that much because they have one of the best passing attacks in the, in the conference. I, I was thinking about this because this, this was kind of like the premise of your your section in, in today's I-5 of, of wins the last time Washington really had a kind of a quarterback that really you had to game plan for. And, you know, Jake Browning's one of those quarterbacks where, like, you know, you, you feel bad to discount him because, you know, he was uh, the quarterback of a playoff team and, and was really successful and put up good stats. But, you know, it's, it's Jake Browning. Yeah. 
Um, the one, the one quarterback uh, going back, I was looking at Jake Locker's stats from from the late two thousands, and I didn't ever realize this, but his freshman, if you look at his freshman year, he passed for two two thousand plus yards, and he actually rushed for more than a thousand yards, which I I never would have expected. Um, so you know, you got to pour one out for that six foot five white guy because. You know, he had, he had some wheels there, Shane. But, yeah, maybe yeah, I should have uh, mentioned but, him. But, 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 but other than that, like, you know, when we were texting about that yesterday, I was like, I think I texted you Marcus Tuiasasopo, uh, who I think was probably done by like 2000 about Washington. So it's, yeah, it's, it's been a, quite a bit since, it's really been a, quite a bit since Washington's really had like a superstar. Like e- even if you go back to, um those playoff teams and those chris petersons like i think that was definitely more of like a sum of all parts or i mean like they had a ferocious defense and obviously really great players on that secondary but it's been quite a long time since washington's had an offensive superstar and i think Penix could definitely be it this year yeah to your point because i i put that browning you know he, he was so good in 2016 i went back and looked at that roster nine players on that offense at one point, you know, had a cup of coffee in the NFL, yeah. which I was a little bit blown away about. I knew that team was talented, but they were all kind of like role player guys. To your point, it was like John Ross was this superstar, but he didn't do much in the NFL. And then it's like Drew Sample and like Will Disley, like these tight ends that pop yeah. up every once in a while or, you know, some running backs in there. So that was interesting to me, but I think you're right. I think people, when DeBoer came to Washington, people thought that Hayner, the Fresno State quarterback, who was also a star, was going to follow him. It was a rumor. It got debunked. And then Penix went there. And it's like, if you don't really, you know, most Pac-12, I'm in, I, I'm from Michigan, right? So I watched the Big Ten. He was really good at Indiana, but his team was shitty around him. They didn't play great defense. They didn't have many weapons except for like one or two guys here and there. And so I think people kind of maybe underrated his addition, but and he's just been, he's been great. Uh, elsewhere in the Pac-12, Oregon State uh, cleaned up against Montana State at Providence Park. Uh, I saw some pictures from that. That looked like an awesome atmosphere. I wish they would play uh, the Oregon-Oregon State game there one of these years. Uh, USC dominated Fresno State. I still have questions about USC's defense. Uh, Fresno State did move the ball pretty well at times in that game, but Fresno State's a good football team, and USC punked them offensively. I Again, as you wrote last week, I, I don't know if it's going to matter how good their defense is because their offense is so darn good. Um, then on the flip side, uh, <laughs> like Colorado is maybe like one of the worst Pac-12 teams I've covered in my time here. And then Arizona State, a program that I think we all thought like could have really helped the Pac-12 turn a corner and really kind of fill out that mid kind of that mid range of, of the conference. Uh, especially after that 2019 win over Oregon and Justin Herbert. Uh, they fired Herman Edwards last night, or reportedly fired Herman Edwards last night. Uh, that, was, that was a mess of a game. And then, yeah, like, it, it's, the Pac-12 is an interesting spot right now because I think, you know, the, the top third of it is as good as it's been in a long time. But uh, the, the bottom third is still making us all laugh quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, you were saying you thought, and maybe a lot of people thought that ASU was going to fill out that midsection. I thought they were going to compete in their division after that game. Like I was like, okay, you know, it's coming together. You've got a coaching staff with some NFL guys on there, former NFL people on there, a lot of good recruiting coming in. They kept stealing skill position players from under people's noses. 
Um, Jaden Daniels looked so good as a freshman and really has never regained that. And he had these receivers like with Ayuk and there's someone else I'm forgetting there. But anyways, it, yeah, it was all a sham. That's what I wrote in the article. Like it just has never been that again. They, they, you know, they've had this, um, this, this ongoing, you know, NCAA investigation and they, you know, Pete Thamel wrote that the, the, the roster atrophied, you know, they lost their best quarterback in Jaden Daniels. They lost a running back best defensive lineman, best linebacker, two best wide receivers all in the last year. So I guess it all kind of came to a head with this, this lost Eastern uh, Michigan. It, it, it was crazy because like when Herm got hired, like everyone was kind of doing like the Twitter dunking of like, Oh, great hire Arizona state, like way to hire somebody who hasn't coached college football in 30 years and hasn't even coached in the NFL. And you know, what was it at that point? Probably 10, 15. Um, and especially when he brought that the goofy um, hierarchy in the program where he was kind of like the general manager and then you had like all the other coaches doing kind of taking on more responsibility than usual. Then they won some games and it was kind of like, oh, like Herm told Herm told everybody. Um, and then turns out it it was just a mess from the start, especially with. You know, I, I, I do think that if the, the whole NCAA investigation stuff didn't come around, like they probably hold that thing together. But then again, like they completely brought that upon themselves. So, you know, they, they kind of made their bed there. Yeah. And looking ahead, you mentioned Colorado. You mentioned ASU. The bottom is still weak. And I was looking at Oregon's schedule specifically. It's going to be a while. I think after this Washington State game, which I think is going to be interesting, and we can maybe preview that a tiny bit at some point. But their schedule is pretty soft for about a month there. Um, but another reason it's soft is because now all of a sudden, I don't think UCLA is, is any good. Maybe I'm overreacting, but I just we, we had them kind of mid-tier last week in the power rankings, and now I'm just disappointed. It, it's, it's so crazy to me because if you go back and, you know, the whole mantra from like Chip Kelly's Oregon days was like win the rep, win the day, you know, one day at a time. Like his whole US, UCLA tenure has been the most inconsistent football, like week in and week out for going on. I don't know what is this his fifth year now. Like that, like it, it wouldn't surprise me if they go out there and win. Like I, I don't know who they play next week, but it wouldn't surprise me if they go out there and score sixty five points and look like one of the best teams in the conference. Like they're they're incredibly streaky. Um, like it's got to be hard to play in front of like that empty of a stadium. Like, especially if you're like a two and O team and you're like trying to like feel yourself and like get yourself pumped up to play Southern Alabama or whatever school they played last week. Um, like I understand that they don't have juice, but like you got to look better than that, especially, you know, when you have a, like a fourth year starting quarterback and um, yeah, like I, the, the the further Oregon gets away from that period of time from, you know, a decade ago when they were in the national championship game and all that, like I, I begin to think more and more that that was just a perfect example of time and place all coming together because, you know, I Chip just hasn't had success anywhere else or, or at least even had structure anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's too much more to dive in on in UCLA that you didn't already hit, but you're right, it's empty there. Yes, I understand partly why from a student's point of view, because it is a little bit kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like it's just there's no juice there. And then they like barely, barely beat this South Alabama team who I don't think this is a situation where Oregon escapes versus Fresno State last season. And, and it just turns out Fresno State was a good team. I don't really <laughs> see that with South Alabama. Then they control the game. 
they make a dumb decision to go for it when they could have just tied the game. I think I, I have to go back and look exactly what happened there. Um, they are three and zero, which is the first time since 2015. But like I wrote, I just am not impressed. And you're right; they have Dorian Thompson Robinson still. I feel like has been there for maybe five years. Even like it just seems like it's been ages with him. He hasn't meaningfully improved. He's gotten a little bit better, but nothing about that team really excites me. And so, like I said, I think it's going to be quite a while uh, before they're even more than you know a blip on my radar, like I wrote. So this week. I'm officiating a wedding on Saturday, so I'm out. But you're back in town. You'll be covering Oregon State, USC. That's going to be a great game. Like, you know, there's, there's a, honestly, there's probably a good chance USC probably wins that thing by 20. But I feel like if Oregon State plays at its best, you know, maybe keep that thing close. And, and who knows? And, you know, that, that again, they'll be the big underdog in that game. But that, that has the potential if if they can pull that upset like that would be i think that would be the rocket ship that Oregon State would need because all of a sudden you're 4 and 0 you just beat the team that everyone in the country is fawning over right now um yeah i i, I think it it could be a special weekend but i'm i'm not necessarily banking on it <laughs> yeah i think you're right it to kind of add that disclaimer that this looks like it could be a really good game it could also be a total stink fest i'm really excited because i haven't I no, I haven't gone to a game uh, in Corvallis, nor have I covered one. And it's going to be, I think it's 6.30 on Saturday. It should be super electric in there, just based on what I've seen from the fans this, this far into the season. And given the matchup and then the names involved in that game, especially on USC's side. Um, I was thinking about like framing, especially what we do as the media a lot this week, because it seems consensus that this USC offense is like one of the best in college. We talked about Bill Plasky kind of going above and beyond in his columns. I don't even know if he wrote one this week, but I don't know how he topped last week if he did write something, <laughs> yeah. calling USC the best team in college football, essentially. But they put up points, and it does look effortless. And we know the pedigree. We know the names. Addison, Caleb Williams, Troy Dye, whatever else. But Tra- Travis, Travis Dye. If, we, don't, we, we don't know all the names. Excuse me. Did I say, did I <laughs> say Troy Dye? <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching too much NFL. Um, yeah. No, but just in terms of like USC's putting up these big point totals. But if you like Oregon, if you deduct Georgia, did the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Oregon State's putting up points. Uh, Washington's putting up points. It's just the framing. We think and we know that there's these stars on USC. We think that USC, because of those stars and the past USC teams of you know decades past were these offensive juggernauts that this is an offensive juggernaut. And it certainly seems like that. But I, I think there's a lot of offensive power, firepower throughout the conference. And the reason I'm intrigued about this game is Oregon State, with their really talented secondary, which I'll have something on kind of later this week, but one of their players, and their ball control offense has a chance to at least kind of throw a wrench in what USC wants to do. Should be a fun week, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh... Thanks for listening, everyone, to the I-5 Corridors Traffic Report. Uh, You can find all of our coverage from this weekend. Shane's uh, Monday I-5 Pac-12 Breakdown. Uh, I have my game story from their weekend. And also, if you missed it, uh, I had a Thomas Tyner story from last week that I kind of liked, looking back at the 10-year anniversary of his 643-yard rushing performance uh, in high school. Again, that's i-5corridor.com. Tyson Alger, Shane Hoffman. See you next week. You're listening to the I-5 Corridor. Dope.